You are now listening to the Big Beta Beer. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton from the Big Data Beard, and we are at Disney's Data and Analytics Conference in 2019 here in beautiful Orlando, Florida. And we are joined by some interesting folks who we had a chance to just hear your talk from Nat Geo, Mia Vallo, and Brad Dancer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Brad, why don't you do me a favor and introduce yourself? Okay. I'm Brad Dancer. I'm Executive Vice President of Insights Analytics and Data Strategy for National Graphic Partners, which is a joint venture of the Walt Disney Company and National Graphic Society. Very cool. Mia, how about you? Sure. I'm Mia Vallo. I'm VP of Analytics at National Geographic Partners. Very cool. Now, Brad, I heard you were kind of early on in this whole Nat Geo I'm thing, early right? On. Yes. So I've been there, it'll be 19 years in October, the third employee of the U.S. television channel. Okay. So uh, there's an international channel started slightly before us, but yes, I've been there through thick and thin. Awesome. Yes. And Mia, you've got, you've got a side hustle, I hear. There's uh, something you're doing on, on the side to help make people smarter. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Oh, I hope I make people smarter. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, and I teach digital analytics to master's students in marketing and communications. Gotcha. Okay. So one of the things that we, we know about Nat Geo, many people probably remember Nat Geo as you know the yellow magazine maybe that they remember from their childhood, but, it, but it's grown and it's involved. So what is Nat Geo today kind of in the modern era? We like to think of Nat Geo as sort of the modern media company. We yeah. are a, a television network. We're obviously the magazine that's been around uh, since 1888. We are a travel business that books trips to all seven continents. We're a kid's business, a social platform, a website, consumer products. Am I missing anything? I think you got it. I think you got you all got of your, it. got your hands on a lot of things. Right. Now, one thing that blew me away when we were doing a little research is I didn't realize how big of a deal Nat Geo was in social media. Now, I like the pictures. My kids love the pictures, the specifically wild, the animals. Mm -hmm. But how big of a deal is Nat Geo in the social media space? Yeah, sure. On Instagram, we are the number one most followed brand on Instagram. So as of yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, we've had 118 million plus followers on Instagram, and that's just our main account. Um, we also have 40 or 45 million plus on Facebook main account. And then we are also, of course, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Bigger than Justin Bieber. <laughs> what? <laughs> Break that news. No. Yeah, the Biebs? Yeah, yep. Yeah, still working on Taylor Swift, but bigger than Biebs. So you're chasing down Taylor chasing Swift. Chasing down Taylor Swift. So just put that in perspective, Justin Bieber, more than them coming to Taylor Swift. Who else in this you know, spectrum of 118? Like, what does that really mean? What are other brands that are out there that you're, you're bigger than? All of them. All of them. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest, the biggest brand, brand, I believe, was Victoria's Secret behind okay. us, yeah, which is well behind us. But as far as a, a corporate brand, there's nobody that on Instagram that's anywhere near us. Yeah. Well, I was curious. Do you want to share the secret to becoming the world's largest brand on Instagram? It's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be as awesome as National Geographic, and you're, you're done. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so National Geographic has a variety of uh, businesses and outlets and things that you manage. But what's at the core of National Geographic? What's the mission for the organization as a whole? Yeah, sure. So at National Geographic, I mean, the mission is really, you know, empowering people, protecting the planet. And then it's with National Geographic Partners, as Brad mentioned earlier, it is um, owned by Disney. But then we also have still a joint venture with National Geographic Society as well. So then our revenue, part of our revenue is also going to National Geographic Society. So yeah, our mission is to keep a planet in balance. And one of the ways we do that is by funding expeditions. So 
we're not just saying we get part of our proceeds back. It goes back to society who then funds explorers to go out and do research. We stand on the side of science and we support science and we're actively out there ensuring that everything we do on the partner side, which is generate media, stories, TV shows, articles, whatever, the revenue we have associated with that is to continue to back to fund science in order to help keep our planet in balance. And that's something we, it's not only what we do, everybody who works here believes in that deeply. So one of the ways you do that is your Planet or Plastic Initiative. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. With Planet or Plastic Initiative, we're encouraging people to reduce single-use plastics. So plastic bags, plastic bottled water, things like that, plastic straws. Um, and we have a goal of reducing 1 billion pieces of plastics from the ocean. And we have about 275 million pledges already completed. So we're getting there. We're not mm -hmm. done yet, obviously, but we're getting there. But that's basically the Planet or Plastic Initiative. And, you know, we know that, that just that, just stopping plastic use isn't going to curb or stop and, and help the planet go in balance necessarily on its own. A large part of this is educating everybody. Decisions they make every day have an impact on the planet. So by everybody making an, a pledge to stop using plastic, that has knockdown effect on everything else. It's not just about not using straws. It's about the larger education platform that also allows us to see so that people understand the decisions they make have impacts way down the road, and that's where change will really happen. So earlier today at the keynote, we heard Captain Sully talk about the definition of innovation, and really that's changing before you have to. National Geographic's been around for over 30 years, right? The magazine uh, was founded in 1988, I think? 1888. 1888. Well oh, over 30 years. Well over 30 years. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, I did not do my research properly. <laughs> uh, 1888. Uh, how are you innovating? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. And a lot of it is, you know, it's, it's funny because we still have a print magazine in a, in, a, in a world that print magazines are disappearing uh, and to some extent, but National Graphic is still going strong, the largest magazine in the world, and you have the largest kids print magazine in the world, and we still believe in that tactile experience. But that's, that obviously is an innovation. We innovate in, in those small ways, but part of the way we innovate, so you said it earlier, is um, people are surprised at how big we are in social media. It's about not just being the the brand that says, here's where our Explorer went, here's some pictures, I hope you enjoy them. Mm -hmm. And now we can engage and we have things like Your Shot, which allows amateur photographers to submit their photos to National Geographic, to have them get feedback from our own photographers and get printed in the magazine, put on our website. Like everybody else, our brand is a community of all the folks that are around us and believe in us. So the way we have to innovate is with our fans. And we do that through social. We do it through other platforms. Um, we're constantly innovating on how we do our digital products and our apps and everything else. Yeah, and related to social too, it's um, I'm not sure if you realize, but we also have a channel on Snapchat or on Snapchat Discover. And that was a surprise to many people because of the demographics of the Snapchat followers. Mm -hmm. And National Geographic is an older brand, as we just talked about 18, since 1888. So, you know, it's really understanding the audience and then trying to find that angle. You know, it's a little bit different telling a story on Snapchat versus on Instagram versus, let's say, Facebook or Twitter. Absolutely, yeah. Snapchat's one that I still haven't cracked the nut. I don't think I'm the right age group for that. No. <laughs> I actually Not either. I works. I, <laughs> I failed miserably. So I'll have to maybe nudge you. It'll be the reason why I get there into Snapchat. Go. Hopefully that works out. So... When did like were you guys super early in this and realizing that social was a was a means to driving engagement for your other products? Because that's one of the things we talked about was like your social oftentimes is about getting people into mm -hmm. other channels that are revenue generating, right? Yeah. So how early on did you all did, did the team realize this and and how has that sort of journey been as technology's changed over the years? 
early in many places, but in particular Instagram early because that is a photo-based platform. So it was natural for National Graphics to get in very early. But we've been early. Um, we've had the benefit of having a lot of fans in some of these platforms. So one example is when uh, Steve Jobs announced the iPad. The first website he went to was National Geographic. He was a huge fan of National Geographic. We worked very hard as an institution to get our site ad, you know, iPad friendly, you know, when that was a thing to have to have to do yeah. so that we could be on stage with Steve Jobs to present that. And we've always um, tried to be at the forefront of these uh, pushes uh, in large part because we have a unique position where we own a lot of our content. We own our TV shows, we own articles, so we can push the envelope a lot further. We were out there distributing our content uh, through television in more innovative ways. Um, and as we look forward to things like Disney Plus and the expansion of Hulu, those are really going to, those are something we've always been a part of because we, we're not a brand that buys content. We make everything we do. So it it's allows us to have the freedom to be uh, a little bit more expressive and innovative and, and more on the leading edge of when we can. And the social media team also has, obviously, good relationships with the social networks, I believe. And I know we're in the insights and analytics team. Mm -hmm. But there are also opportunities within the social media platforms to launch something. I think a few years ago, we were the first brand to do the Live 360 video on Facebook. And I think that was related to the show Mars. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that was fun. That was great. And that was something that we were happy to work with Facebook. Actually, that was a great example. It was, it was the first 360 live video. Um, and it was done out of, I think it was in Salt Lake City out of Utah, where they, they test um, astronauts and other scientists out at a Mars-like lab. Mm -hmm. um, but the way we presented it, some people thought we were live from Mars. And they're <laughs> super excited about yeah. that. Not understanding that human beings actually haven't set foot on Mars yet. But uh, they were like, That's, this can't be real. Yeah. Like, no, no, it's not. we're not actually on this Mars. Is, this <laughs> is such good content. I believe it's real. Well, that's how they filmed the uh, moon landing, right? <laughs> oh. right? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I think it was you guys that took the picture, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but that's crazy because the, the, the amount of engagement that you're getting is, is stunning in terms of the size, the way that you're using your content it's kind of an interesting interesting concept on how tangential kind of channels drive connection between you know revenue and social engagement but i'm curious are there are there key lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of you know how you use the social analytics usually social platforms to actually drive that engagement yes um I don't know if I can tell you all of our secrets, but... <laughs> Any of them are fine. Sure you can. <laughs> sure I can. No one's listening uh, to me right now. Um, so I guess in terms of the key lessons in driving the high engagement, it's really just understanding... The big thing is really understanding the audience. Mm -hmm. We have several different platforms. We have several different accounts within each platform. So in our presentation today, talking about Instagram, we've got our hero main account. And then we've got travel, we've got channel, we've got Night Geo Wild, we've got um, adventure. Those are some of the few. And I think we have your shot as well as one of the Instagram accounts. And it's not like just putting the same photo in every single account. We have to definitely cater. So if it's Night Geo Wild, people are going to be expecting animals. And people who are following Night Geo Wild are really into animals. Versus, let's say, Night Geo Travel, where people who are following Night Geo Travel, they're expecting some kind of destination or travel photos. So really understanding the audience. And I'm being biased being in the insights and analytics team, but the data would be super useful as well. And, you know, we have a system where we basically label the various posts that we have and understanding what kind of animals typically do get high engagement. Um, that's, you know, as simple as that too. What kind of emotions are we evoking for the posts and how are they impacting the engagement? And then also things such as, what about the caption? And then now at Instagram stories and then with IGTV, 
then there are more metrics to look at. So things such as like swap up rates, like how do we go from one chapter to another? Um, what are some of the creative ways that we can get people yep, to go from one chapter to another? Where do we put the swipe up? Um, if it's IGTV, you know, how many seconds should it be? And, you know, we've had discussions with the creative team as well. You know, just they're sending us a video of what they're posting or they will be posting on IGTV. And then we came back with the recommendation. Well, if you put it this way, you know, if you do X, Y, Z, then you're probably going to get better engagement in terms of viewing time. Okay. Well, with all those different platforms, there's so many metrics out there that you can actually analyze to make those informative decisions. How do you get through some of the noise? Uh, I think you called it, uh, what was it? Vanity metrics. How do you kind of get through that to the actual data that is the most relevant for your decision-making? It really depends on, I guess, the objective of the campaign. So if it's something related to a branded content partnership, and typically a lot of our clients or partners are really interested in reaching our audience and it's understanding what is the amplification of that post. So we typically look at things such as, of course, if it's engaging, um, of course, if it's like getting more earned impressions versus owned impressions, we measure all of those. But also really important is the social sentiment factor because it doesn't matter if you get so many likes, but not people, you know, not a lot of people are engaging on it. I think Instagram is a little bit difficult for that because people will be commenting based, you know, using emojis. Yeah. And we do um, use a tool that actually look at the emojis in addition to the text in order to understand the type of emotion. Mm -hmm. But we typically try to understand the whole context, not just, oh, this post got X likes and this post got X engagements. It's really, why do people like it? And somewhat defensive vanity metrics, although I agree, we, we have to get away from them. There is a level of usefulness for them because mm -hmm. it gets the company behind something, gets everybody excited. Because sometimes if you're trying to get everybody excited, they're not going to get excited about what the most interesting animal is on, on Instagram or what's the most engaged I mean, swipe up rate. Uh, we're not, never going to release that information. Uh, we're on the it's contract cats. with the animals. With the animals. Negotiators. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm guessing it wasn't that vulture picture, but that was pretty cool, though. That was, that was rad. Yeah. I was glad they finally got their day in the sun. I think that's part of the reason that was so popular. <laughs> yeah, all, exactly. the, all those vulture fans came out of nowhere. You mentioned those, this sentiment analysis. And one of the things, you know, you're dealing with a volume of data mm -hmm. that has to just be insane when you think about it. Now, thankfully, you know, sentiments, it's hopefully it's mostly text, right? Some emojis you said. But how do you deal with that? Because I, I looked at some of the posts and some of these posts have, you know, 50 and 60,000 comments. Like, how have you built systems to handle that sort of scale and volume? Yes, we do work with tools to look at which words are the most frequently um, used in the comments or in the replies. We also use a tool to understand if it's considered emotional or not. So we can then at least sort through and then prioritize which comments we'll look at first. But we still have a human, <laughs> multiple humans, multiple people looking through those comments to understand because then the tool will come up and say, oh, you've got X percent negative sentiments. And we're like, oh, that's bad. But then when we actually look at the actual comments, the negative sentiments weren't towards National Geographic as a brand, but it's really more about the situation. Mm. So for example, our wildlife tourism magazine, it's about um, the mistreatment of animals in a lot of tourist attractions. Mm -hmm. So people were really sad about it. People were really angry about the other people who make that happen. And a lot of those posts, to be honest, have a lot of negative sentiments and we were expecting that. But on our side, it's really more about what is it? What is the meaning of all of those negative sentiments? Are there any um, actions that the editorial team or social media team or PR team need to take right away 
if it's related to our brand or if it's really just people expressing their sentiments for being mad. I mean, in that case, the negative sentiments were positive sentiments for us. Or we get yeah, a lot right. of things like that's crazy or, oh my God, I can't believe that, which yeah. you don't know how to take. But to that point, to, part of your answer is that we don't have great, we don't have a, a magic system or anything. Mm-hmm. It, it is the systems that are available, uh, some manpower and prioritizing. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you started adopting things like, because in the, you know, kind of in the machine learning and deep learning space, we've started to see this trend towards more neural network mm-hmm. kind of activity. So on the deep learning space, and you certainly have the data sets mm-hmm. that are sizable enough to train yeah. and, and build models. Is it is that the direction you're using data science approaches to develop machine learning and deep learning capabilities? Well, we're getting there. Let's put yeah. that. Most of our data science efforts have been around subscriptions or trips or specific, mm-hmm. you know, customer related efforts. Not as much on the content side, um, but that's not to your point exactly. We have the data set. We know a little bit more about why it's so important for the business to understand, and the business is accepting that social isn't just a isn't just a vanity metric. There's so much we can learn there. We can hopefully divert those efforts. Yeah. I, um, so, how is data analytics driving the content strategy with NetGeo? I'll, I'll touch on channels if you want to hit me. There's, so there's, there's two big areas. So on the channel side, you know, and this is basic TV, both linear and nonlinear. However, we distribute it through ad supported television or through Hulu or through eventually Disney Plus. Um, I mean, their analytics kind of drives everything. It's about behavior. What are they watching? What else are they watching? Knowing um, you're sort of inferring behavior because there we don't know who it is. We, yeah. we, mm-hmm. we think we know who it is. We know some basic demographics, but we do know a lot about what they do outside of the platform. So I know what other shows they watch. And so we're spending a lot of time trying to, you know, television's goal is to get ahead of the curve. We want to set trends. We don't want to react to trends. So, you know, we're doing things. We know, as an example, our biggest show was um, uh, Hot Zone most recently. It's the biggest show we've done in years. It's about the Ebola uh, crisis in 1989. Um, scripted version, though, which is a, something we normally do, but this is a full-on scripted, Juliana Margulies, um, but factual-based, mm-hmm. and, and it told a harrowing story. But, you know, we also we're aware enough that the Ebola crisis was starting to pop up again out in, in the Congo, and, you know, this is something that, we think it's important for people to know. We want to tell it a story. We could have just told that story, which we did, you know, as a nonfiction, but we wanted to tell a different way to engage a lot more people that there's a crisis going on. It already happened. Let's not repeat that again. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of other media platforms, such as the website or even the magazine, you know, there are so many digital analytics capabilities out there to understand where people are going on our website, which articles they're reading. We can see how much far they're scrolling down. We're using scroll maps. We're using heat maps. Um, we're trying to understand how much time they spend on it. The conversation with our editorial team, um, now that I look back at it, thinking as an outsider, like it's actually fun. So we talk about, hey, how long should an article be? How many words? How many minutes should it be? If it's a video, how many minutes or how many seconds? There's like, is there something that we need to put in the beginning? So tons of daily conversation with the editorial team on a day-to-day basis, but on a strategic level, it's really understanding the type of larger themes or topics that would resonate with our audience. Mm-hmm. And not only that is that, what are some of the traffic sources that are driving it? Mm-hmm. Whether it's social driving back to the website, is it our email? Is it really playing on SEO? Because we do have students coming to our website to do research on animals and environment and anything related to science. Um, so those are some of the ways that we work with the editorial team on that. Yeah, it's interesting. So do you see a future where uh, you've already got some great machine kind of human partnerships and the sentiment analysis piece of it you talked about, but I'm curious, do you see AI and some of the modern technologies that we're playing with in data science and in, in great universities like Georgetown around the world, do you see that starting to, to take hold in actually building your content strategy and actually curating and automating some of that process? 
I would think so, but um, and I can't really speak for that because obviously I'm not in the content team. I yeah. think anything still requires a human interaction, whether it's on data or creating content. Yeah. One of the things I was curious about too, this one popped into my head was when I was looking at your, you had this, this slide up there that talked about things being on brand. And I was curious if that was something where it, when you say on brand, that's one of those kind of hard to pin down things. Sure. Have you, have you started to use sort of the data science approach to understand what the brand is? And is that like a future idea for understanding the, you know, what kind of content fits here? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question for National Geographic because yeah. you ask 100 people what the brand is, you get 100 different answers. Yeah. Other than photography and animals, yeah, that might sure. be the universal theme. But then, yeah, internally, when we say on brand, we kind of know what that language means, yeah. uh, maybe they don't externally. And the, so there's that, it's a real fine line. We are not a package or product company. We're a content company run by content leads telling stories. So it'll always be a balance of what can the data show us? How far can the data take us? Mm -hmm. uh, and does that limit us? Because are you then just recreating things you've already done instead of innovating new? And I'm, you know, obviously I'm from the data side. Yeah. I would argue you can do both of those things with For data. Sure, that can be Creative <laughs> side sometimes are like, yeah. I have to do things that the data is not telling me. Yeah. So we have to, we have to get, we have to innovate to figure out how do we do a better job of showing that we can, we can do that. And that's a constant process. Yeah. And related to that too, I mean, we've talked a lot about data um, in this conversation, but we haven't really talked about customer insights or research. And, you know, there are definitely companies out there who have separate analytics and separate customer insights or research team. Our team is actually all in one. So what we'd like to do is definitely use the data and analytics to understand what happened. So like the what, but then back it up with research, back it up with customer insights to understand the why. Yeah. Get into the why is really important. So I'm curious, as you think about advice that you can share um, in terms of things that people can learn from your experiences on how do you, you know, connect the, you know, the insights from your customers back to the data science side. Are there other just pieces of advice you'd give based on your journey uh, to help people really understand how to connect this data science capability with business outcomes? The big thing for me is that speak in their language. Just don't speak in data language um, and don't condescend either. You know, respect what their <laughs> job is. Uh -huh. Understand that that the more people trust it, and I think Mia said in the presentation, they trust the data, but also trust the person uh, is probably one of the most effective things you can do. Because if they don't trust you or the person giving, or that you, they don't think you understand their business, it'll never work, no matter how much data you give them. Um, but the more you can speak in their languages, um, if you're talking to a television producer, they want to know you understand what they have to go through. Because and on that side, they've worked for three years on a TV show. I can come in and say that the that didn't work. Look at the ratings. Yeah. Um, they just spent three years working yeah. on that show. <laughs> How dare you? To handle yeah. that situation. Yeah. yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, an example of a project that we did um, is, it was a while ago, but for a homepage redesign, so like a redesign on our website. And again, with the data, we can say, oh, this is what happened to the homepage, but before the website or before the homepage was launched, we ran a survey, like a simple survey, just to understand what is it about the homepage that people like or don't like, um, and then a few other questions as well. And then we also did it again after that. So then we can benchmark against the before. So for us, it's really important to be part of the planning process because, you know, again, there are some challenges that we have um, being in an, anal in an analytics team in a content-driven organization, but it's been so much better that they are able to add us to the process in the beginning. So then before they're launching a project, it helps for us to understand, hey, what are your objectives? And then we can help you with the KPIs. Um, mm -hmm. What are some of the things that we need to track? So then we can put the right digital analytics tool in place instead of, hey, something launched, how did it do? And you say, 
I have no idea because I don't know what this project is and we never put analytics on it. Yeah, what's well, important. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Develop good KPIs, get involved early with the business. And it's actually one thing that um, we heard from the keynote Sully mm -hmm. was talking about, you know, having like design engineers be part of the process early. Yes. Right. And exactly. I think that's because any of this stuff, if we don't have a business case in mind, like we can do data science for no purpose whatsoever. That's funny. But did the content team embrace this analytics approach from the beginning or was there some work that needed to be done to kind of have that partnership? I think there's a lot of work and it's ongoing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, there's a difference and I hate to bifurcate, but the channels just television the whole works mm -hmm. with data and always has. So that, that group tends to be a little bit more involved and they, they have clear KPIs. Mm -hmm. The media side is, is born and bred out of a traditional publishing outfit. So there, as they transition, like every publisher has to a digital world, um, understanding what those KPIs mean and getting comfortable with them is an ongoing process. But yep. we're, I mean, we're, yeah. pretty, we're pretty far down. And process changes are, are challenging. Absolutely. Hard to yeah, definitely. Our job as a team, it's not just pulling data, providing the insights, running some models, building models, things like that. But it's really, you know, educating and training other people in the company in order to understand and embrace data. Cool. So what's next for Nat Geo in terms of data analytics and AI and, and projects? What do you have on your plate? I think you guys kind of hinted at it, but but really understanding our natural language processing around our social comments is a huge thing for us because I think there's a there's a lot we have in mind there yet because we don't have the time or resources to do so, and you can obviously having a person doing that is not sustainable mm -hmm. nor necessary in today's yeah. data world. Um, I would say that's one big one, and then the other one I think we're still looking for that like everybody has that magic sauce of how do you connect online and offline data. Um, you know, we we have a lot of offline data. Um, we have and we're growing online data, but these aren't you know we treat them separately, but these are just people doing their thing and you know for us to try and connect the dots in a more universal way from what they're watching on tv what magazine they're subscribing to all over the world mm -hmm. um, because we are a global company uh, is really the next big one for us yeah and that makes it more complicated with social platforms because we don't know hey it's mia follow who is following that geo on instagram but we you know obviously don't get the information from Instagram and Facebook about my information. Mm -hmm. So it's, it makes it even harder just in your online portion, trying to get the data together. Well, I tell you what, it's a, it's an exciting mission you're on though. Cause you've got, if you're a data person, you've got massive data sets, you've got massive engagement and a lot of opportunity. That's very cool. Well, thanks for sharing what's, what Nat Geo is doing to really sure. engage with your customers mm -hmm. and your, your partner socially and drive uh, really innovation around people engaging with your content and what great content. We appreciate that. Thank you. I want to shift gears. We have a little fun section that we'd okay. like to call rapid oh, no. fire. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal in a segment we like to call rapid fire. Pew, pew. Brad, what is the latest great book that you'd recommend to our listeners? Ooh, that you've read. Latest great book. Well, uh, I don't know the name of it. It's Ben Fold's autobiography. Ben uh, Fold's. Ben no Fold's, uh, who seems to be too early to write an autobiography. It does feel weird. But such a great, weird story. I'm a huge fan of Ben Fold's, and he just sort of has this natural way of talking about his life and very down to earth, but also relating it back. He's such a weirdly successful, under the radar career, um, knowing that you don't always have to be at the top, you know, the most well-known person, yeah. uh, but it can still have this amazing life. He was, it's, it's a quick, fantastic read. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. I like Ben Folds also. That's good. How about you, Mia? Uh, 
Does Audible count? Audible absolutely counts. Yes, I'm glad you said that. We that's the only this. way I read books. I know that's honestly. I, I have a friend that like actually picks on me on about this show because we talk about it, and she's like, "But you don't even read books." I'm like, "Yes, I do." Audible counts. <laughs> I have somebody read, read them to me. It's even better. <laughs> yeah, depending on the readers. I mean, okay, so I have a child, so I do read like I do listen to a lot of kids' books as well. Um, any of the Harry Potter series, definitely. The reader is amazing. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit surprised about. Um, Feel free to laugh. Wizard of Oz, Anne Hathaway, and she does a really good job in terms of like all of the voices. Yeah. So to me, it's really about like the voices, and mm-hmm. I have a long commute yeah. every day, so I need like something podcast, Audible, yeah, and then music. Yeah. Actually, a funny side Disney plug because we we're at Disney. Disney announced this this partnership with Google Home, where they have the the read along for a lot of the Disney Golden Book stories. Yeah. yeah. My kids have gone insane. Sure. Like, it is so cool. That's great. That and speaking of natural language yeah. processing, it's listening. In real time, following along. Love that. So, if you had to have a song to play when you went on stage, what would that song <laughs> be? Jeez. Uh, all right, another Disney plug. Uh, <laughs> shout out Disney. Yeah, shout out Disney. This is a little bit of a back catalog one, though, and it's oh. going to sound a little goofy. Huge Roger Rabbit fan. Okay. There's a song in there called Smile, Darn You Smile, because life is worth living. And rather stay optimistic. And I uh, it's like dig to that. focus on I like the positive. That's, I, I love that. that. <laughs> Mia, how about you? What, are you? what are you walking on stage to? I don't know why, but I have Lincoln Park in my head. That's better. That's real strong. So we're we're technologists, right? But not all technology works for us. Is there a piece of technology that is making your life worse? Ooh. Uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, How is that possible? I would say I would say any car that isn't a hybrid makes oh. my life worse as a as a sort of near city dweller and somebody worked in astrographic a long time and somebody doesn't like driving yeah and uh, would love walking anything that guzzles a lot of gas is making all of our lives worse not to get too uh, overly profound but yep. i'm not gonna say anything about phones or anything like that because i love them yeah got it okay mia anything making your life worse technology wise um, i think anything with the voice technology because it's uh it's still clunky does that include audible yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's recording. That's, recording. that's, that's not different. real time. I think I ended up unplugging some at home. It's like, oh my gosh, they're listening to us everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everyone's listening. So, what is your biggest money pit right now? Personal, personal, personal money. Pit. Wow, that is really personal. <laughs> uh, well, I, this one's easy for me because my daughter starts college on Friday. Oh yeah, here that's the. So. Yep, I got an eight-year contract. Two, 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 right, one right behind the other. Oh, so no. there we go. I'm going to follow that pattern. My daughter is um, going to be a tween officially. Oh. So nothing yet, but I'm just expecting it's different things here You're and there. Yes. It. That's right. So is there a, given that we're you guys build a lot of content, but is there a show that you're binging on these days that you'd recommend? Uh, a show, yes. What is the show? I'm most, well, it's Euphoria and HBO. I okay. did binge on, which... I didn't even say it's a guilty pleasure. I, I love television, so I'm, I freely admit it. I yes. watch pretty much everything I can get my hands on. I love that. Yeah. But I most recently just finished Euphoria, and uh, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, Zendaya, oh, yeah. Zendaya, uh, Zendaya, who my kids love. Mm-hmm. Knew her from I knew her from the Spider-Man movies. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, what about you? Any shows you're binging? Um, I usually switch back and forth, so I think I'm in between like the Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. I just started that uh, a ago. I'm catching up on Mad Men. I know that's so old, but... <laughs> I'm still catching up on that. Um, yeah, I'm still in season two for that. So oh, okay. I'm right with you. We can chat later. <laughs> so what is your favorite National Geographic Instagram post? 
Okay, this sounds easy because we just presented it, but it is the it's the bloody vulture. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty that's, that's pretty strong. Not that it's just so uh, so surprising, yeah. and that effect's so popular, and it's striking, and you don't yeah. see don't see a lot of vulture pictures. I like sure. any of those animals that don't get you know the top attention. They get their day in the sun. That's right. <laughs> what about you, Mia? Favorite Instagram post from? I don't think I have any favorite. Anything with baby animals, baby yeah. polar bears, baby uh, lion cubs. I'm gonna make. Penguins. I'm gonna make a request. My son is super into sloths. Can you put more sloths in there? <laughs> we can try. He loves. I'm sure we have data yeah, on how right now. sloths they're really do big. on social network for National Geographic. <laughs> That's right. They do well. All right. So, last question: Is there anywhere interesting that you're going for work or pleasure soon around the world? Um, soon. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, soonish. Soonish. Okay. Well, I get. I don't. This, it's, it's sort of, well, it's London. Yeah. Not, I mean, it's at least overseas. Uh, great city. Uh, yeah, it's a great city. And then we get to travel. And we have, we have offices all over the place. Yeah. I tend to see them, the more generic ones. But uh, who doesn't like to travel one? It's amazing. Absolutely. London's awesome. Um, well, I just finished my summer vacation. So okay. where'd you go? <laughs> um, went to Peru to go check out Machu Picchu. Really? So that was awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So we've got a list of the UNESCO's World Heritage to go check out. Oh, so, nice. yep, this year was Machu Picchu. Yep, last year was Buddha Buddha. Yep. Well, Mia and Brad, it's been awesome to chat with you about what National Geographic is up to these days in the modern era, certainly still producing a phenomenal yellow rimmed magazine, but so much more on so many platforms. So, thanks for sharing with us on the Big Data Beard. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. Mm-hmm.